I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations. In the name of the Lord, welcome to another fabulous day in the Lord's neighborhood. And know that this devotional I'm doing on the Lord's Day on Sunday, and there's a reason for it. But I'm just going to read the last chapter of Mark's Gospel, and then uh, I'm going to share some thoughts. And the reason I've waited till Sunday to do this is because I've, I've had to gather my thoughts for two or three days on this subject. I don't want to just frivolously read the words, say some wise sounding comments and move on. Um, the purpose of devotionals is to improve the quality of my life. I want to learn something more about me. I want to learn something more about God. And so when I think with my mouth open on what happens here on the day of the resurrection, there's some powerful things to consider. And that's what I want to get to. So, here's my coffee, and lo, mm, it was very good. Let's get started. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, they brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He's risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now I'm going to stop there because verse 9 through the end, um, there's some more than a little uh, debate about whether that uh, actually belongs to the gospel. Believe it or not, I know this is going to fly in the face of people who uh, I think hold um, some wrong views on the inerrancy of the scripture. And this is going to get me in hot water with a bunch of you folks. I understand that. But the earliest valid documents we have in Mark's gospel ends here, verse 8. And verses 9 through 20 feels like an add-on. I'm not, and it doesn't add anything to the story. And it doesn't add anything to what I'm going to share in fact, the details 9 through 20, we see them in the other Gospels, and we see it in the book of Acts. Uh, so, 
I'm just going to stop right here because Jesus has been dead. He's been crucified. He died, laid in the tomb. At the After the Sabbath was over, that would be, you know, like maybe like Saturday night, uh, six o'clock. They go to the tomb to anoint his body. He's not there. They see an angel. And he said, and he tells them, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. <sighs> this is hard. This is a difficult thing for me. Not to believe. I mean, I believe this. That's not it. But this brought up a lot of memories and thoughts in me. You know that before the Gospel of Mark, we had gone through the Old Testament from Genesis all the way up to where Joshua was getting ready to enter the Promised Land. Uh, and they're, they're assembling on the banks of the Jordan River and they're getting ready to go attack Jericho. Now, the one message from the Old Testament, from Genesis up to that point, especially the time with Moses in the wilderness, is that sin rules our lives. It just does. And sin is a death sentence. And even God's chosen people, the people he chose for a specific purpose to, to preserve his words, to preserve his message, to prepare the way for Messiah, even God's chosen people always returned to sin. God would move in a powerful way and they would see God move in a powerful way and yet in very short order, they would sin again. They would rebel against God. They would disobey God. This disobedience, this ability to sin is ingrained. It is, it's a part of our nature. In fact, Paul says, in his most in the starkest words the wages of sin is death and death is separation between us and god the wages of sin is death we are steeped in sin sin is in our nature there's no one who does good no not one that's the message of the old testament and that's paul's message in romans we all like sheep have gone astray we've sinned we've missed the mark We've, and that's what the word sin means. It means to miss. Uh, David had some uh, soldiers, a, a troop of soldiers that were slingshotters. I guess that's a word. And it was said that they could hit their mark at 50 paces or something like that and not sin and not miss. We all like sin. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all sinned and missed the mark. We're doomed. Even God's chosen people return to sin. Now, that's important to me because I had a powerful, powerful salvation experience on Easter 1975 in boot camp. God overwhelmed me, and I saw for that brief instant of time his grace, his mercy. I felt his love and his forgiveness, his unconditional forgiveness. I wept like a baby. And yet after that moment, throughout my entire life since then, I've continually returned to my normal sinful self 
selfish, self-centered. Um, I, I've had to work. I've had to work hard to get to the point where I consider somebody else before my own. Um, I, though I am not the same man I was before that experience, in many ways I still am. Before I was saved, probably here's one of the best examples of what I, uh, of how much God has changed me. Before I was saved, my attitude towards women was ugly. I didn't consider them as anything other than an add-on to my life. I, I dated a girl when I was in high school. I was a senior. She's a freshman. And I absolutely crushed her. I broke her heart. I, I just broke up with her for no reason. And like every first romance, and she was my first girlfriend, I believe I was her first boyfriend, feelings are amplified. And when I broke up with her, it absolutely destroyed her. Absolutely crushed her. And I was riddled with guilt about that for years. I finally got a hold of her about 20 years ago through Facebook. And I wrote her a note asking her to forgive me for the way I treated her. And she did. She's very gracious. She's very kind. And uh, she forgave me. But she, that was a perfect example of, and I had several girlfriends and several relationships between that time and the time I married my the woman who's now my wife. And it all it always ended the same. My tendency is to use and to push away. Now, I'm changed. And proof of that is the fact that my wife and I will be celebrating our 47th wedding anniversary here in a couple months. So I know God has changed me in that regard. And he's, he's worked a change into me where I consider her before I consider myself. So I know that there's been change in me, but at the same time, I still wrestle with the sin in my life, my selfish attitude, my predilection towards putting myself first and others second. I have to fight that constantly. It's always there. And that's Paul's message. So the message in the Old Testament is that God provided a way for this, for his chosen people. Even though they're going to sin again and again, he gave them a solution. And the solution was the shedding of blood, the sacrifice, the lamb. It all pointed to Messiah, to Yeshua. It all pointed to Jesus. It was a type, a preview of coming attractions, if you will, where you had to bring a lamb and you sacrifice that lamb, and that lamb's shed blood covered your sin for that year. And he even made allowances for you to bring sacrifices every day if you wanted to cover sins and different things that God revealed to you about your sin. <laughs> that pointed to Jesus. So what happens on this day, in this Passion Week, in the last couple chapters of Mark's gospel and the end of all the gospels is a culmination of all that the Old Testament sacrificial system represented. Every sacrifice represented Christ's 
solution for us in some regard. And that's what happened on this last week. I used to just really focus on the physical suffering that Jesus went through, and it was horrific. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was ridiculed. He was punched, beard ripped out of his face, and then he was nailed to a cross to suffocate for nine hours. That's what happens on the crucifixion. You actually suffocate, and that's how you die. And I folks, yeah, that that's a horrific. It's horrific. But what happened was when he said on the cross, it is finished, the price was paid for my sin. For once and for all, it is finished. Now, something happened between the time he died and the time he resurrected three days later, and I don't know what that was. But I know because of that time in the tomb, because of his death on the cross, the time in the, t in the tomb, the price was paid once for all time, for all my sin. Now, did that remove the sin from my life? Regretfully, no. I wrestle with that every day. And it grieves me. So what happened on this last day? Well, Paul says, for by grace am I saved through faith. All right, well, that word grace, some people have said it means God's righteousness at Christ's expense. What do I need to stand, be able to stand in front of God? I have to be sinless. I have to be righteous. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's what happened here. He took my place. He redeemed me. He bought me. He took my place. He did not make me perfect as I stand before you now. But his righteousness was imputed to me. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's what happened here. Now, also, Jesus said in his own words in John chapter 3, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what happened here. That whosoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. Believe on what? Believe on him. Not the fact that he could raise the dead and that he could heal the sick. Oh, that's important. But believes that he paid the ultimate price for Paige. That if God so loved Paige, that he gave his only begotten son. That if Paige would believe on him, Paige would not perish. See, that's the thing. Without this, without what happened to Jesus, after I'm done breathing on this mud ball we call earth, I would be doomed to an eternity away from God. That's death, separation from God. And I would be doomed to a place where God is not. That's called hell. A place reserved for the devil and his angels. Do you think that's going to be a pleasant place? I think not. 
if Paige would believe in him, Paige would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what happened here. Paul says, the wages of sin is death. That's what happened here. He died. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what happened here. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And here's the truth of it. Even if you're a believer, you're still going to sin and come short of the glory of God. But remember, God's grace has been extended to us. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's what happened here. When he rose from the dead on the third day and appeared to his disciples, and that's what we read in the book of Acts, the first couple chapters of Acts is all about Jesus' resurrection uh, uh, resurrection with them, uh, experiences with them. The minute he came out of that grave, it was totally, completely done. I have been saved. I have been redeemed. I have been purchased. But just like his chosen people in the Old Testament, and I'm now part of that chosen people, we, Paul says that we're, we Gentiles, we're grafted in to the vine. We are considered part of God's family. Now we're adopted along with Israel into God's family. Even though I'm adopted into God's family, like Israel, I continue to sin. But we have an advocate with the Father who continually, who continually advocates for us. Throughout my life, I've had incredible experiences with God. I've been delivered, I've seen his power in nature. I've been delivered by a tornado and a hurricane uh, miraculously. I've seen my daughter miraculously healed when she was a baby through the laying on of hands and prayer. I have seen God provide financially, physically, in every way. And after each one of those experiences, I've been overwhelmed by the mercy and the grace of God. But after each one of those experiences, I soon return to being the same selfish, self-centered person I am. So I still have sin in my life that I'm dealing with, just like God's chosen people in the Old Testament. God would deliver them miraculously, and yet they would fall back into sin. That's my life too. But the difference between my life now and my life before that Easter service in 1975 is that I am covered by the blood of Christ. I'm redeemed. That's what happened here in the Mark's last chapter. My redemption was complete. My price was paid. I have been redeemed. Grace, God's righteousness at Christ's expense, has been extended to me. It's a glorious thing. It's a fantastic thing. Here, in the last two chapters of Mark's gospel, is the culmination of everything that the Old Testament was pointing towards. God has a chosen people. He's, he's paid a price for them. He's given them a path through which he 
saves them. It's a powerful thing. I'm humbled by it. Incredibly humbled by it. I'm not saved and perfect. I'm saved in spite of the fact that I'm not perfect. In fact, I'm a lot worse than perfect. I am a sinner saved by grace, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's what happened here. He, lay, he died, he was laid in the tomb, the stone was rolled away, and he walked free. Price paid, redemption secured. His chosen people cemented into the family of God, grafted into the family of God. This is what the Old Testament was pointing towards. If anybody's listening to this and you cannot say with certainty that you are saved, if you cannot say with absolute certainty that your sins have been covered by the blood of the Lamb, if you cannot say with certainty that if you were to die today, that you would stand accepted in the presence of God. You need to bow your knee figuratively, physically, and you need to ask God to forgive you, to cover you with the blood of the Lamb. God's not willing that any should perish that all should have everlasting life. That is God's heart. And that's his heart towards you. If you are a believer and wrestling with the fact that you're still sin, that you're a sinner, know this, there's comfort. You are covered. You are redeemed. That will never change. And you'll go from glory to glory and he'll be changing you. Yes, you're still going to continue to sin. But know this, your sins have been covered. Continue to strive forward. Continue to push forward. Continue to pursue godliness. Continue to pursue God. Talk to him. It's called prayer. Read his words. Think about these words. It's called the devotional. That's what we're doing here. And be available to help those in need around you. That's loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind and loving your neighbors yourself. There's a lot to think about here. Wow. The life of Jesus. What a story. This is Paige. Here's my coffee. Folks, I'm out of here. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye.
God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.